Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to be here in worship. And Lord, as you desire, please continue to speak into our hearts and minds and lives that which you have for us. Lord, help us to be open to that. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. This week begins our six-week series on the book of Galatians, which I'm quite excited about. And so each week we will wrestle through a chapter of the book of Galatians. I'm not, of course, preaching on the whole chapter, but encourage you not only to read the verses for the week, but encourage you to uh, read the chapter as well as we prepare for worship, as you reflect on worship. This book of Galatians is certainly interesting. This letter is fascinating in so many ways. It serves in a lot of ways as kind of uh, a summary for Paul, a, a Reader's Digest version of the gospel message of, of perhaps if Romans were kind of his thesis, you know, Galatians is kind of a, a, a summary of that in so many ways. Yet it's very unique like all the letters that Paul wrote because while he wrote to these churches, to these cities, to offer the gospel message to them, he also wrote to address specific issues and concerns and questions. And for the church and the people in Galatia, there is certainly no exception. And so sometimes understanding some of the background helps us to understand what's going on here. And you'll continue to hear me talk about that a little bit each week as we wrestle with this book. But there are a lot of issues going on here in the church and in the community. But one of the biggest issues has to do with some conflict around the gospel message. You see, what's happening in Galatia for these followers of Christ, these people who have decided to accept this gospel message of grace of Jesus, is they're, they're getting confused, perhaps distracted, led astray. Certainly in the culture there are those who are not interested of, in God of any kind or any form, as they're always has been. But specifically, in, in Galatia, there were two other groups. There, there was this group that they, they, we call the Judaizers. You know, maybe, maybe they might have believed in Jesus a little bit, some of them perhaps. But they were, a fo they were a group of people who were really focused on kind of rigid observance of the laws. That for them, faith in God was all about this performance whether it be the rigid observance of the Old Testament or the rules or the laws that they had come up with. And so for these new followers of Christ, they would say, well, that's a good story of grace, but there's a list of rules that you've got to follow still. And there's a way that you've got to be. And then on the other side, there's this other group that, that, that are kind of challenging these new Christ followers in this gospel message of grace. And these are the ones who are saying, well, you talk about this grace and being free in Christ. That means now that you can do whatever you would like. That you now are free to enjoy any pleasure, any experience, anything that you would like. Because that's what you can do now that you've received grace. And so there was certainly some confusion and, and Paul was concerned and so for this reason and many others that we'll kind of uh, dive into a little bit here and there, he writes this letter. And I want to talk about this 
first chapter, beginning at the first verse, you know, it's Paul kind of has his, a little bit of a, country, a customary introduction here. You know, Paul, an apostle, sent not for man, but from Jesus Christ. You know, it's a reminder, certainly, that it's not just Paul's message. It's not Paul's words, as it shouldn't be my words. But it's also an important reminder of a very important truth. You see, for Paul, he doesn't just talk about this and say, hey, listen to me, because it's not me, Paul. It's the message of Jesus. But he wants us to remember, and he wants the people to know that our identity should be in Christ. That for Paul, that is what he wanted his first identity to be, is to be a follower of Christ, one who is in Christ. And so he begins with this simple first verse to say, I am not sent from anybody but Christ. And that's where my identity lies. And so he writes this letter to the churches in Galatia. And verse 3 is a very common greeting. We've heard it a lot, you know, particularly, I think, in the Lutheran church. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In my last church, the other associate pastor that served there, he would begin every sermon with these words. These common words of Paul, it was kind of his opening prayer for the sermon. But, you know, like a lot of things that we hear and say over and over again, we can miss the meaning, because there is more here than just a nice, eloquent, soft introduction. Because for Paul, when we look at Christianity and the foundations of Christianity, grace, excuse me, grace and peace are important. <coughs> grace and peace are two cornerstones. That it all starts with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And peace does not come without that grace. That peace is found in resting in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not just a nice greeting. It's a reminder of some of the fundamentals. Paul was always reminding the readers and the people and us of the fundamentals. And so these notions of grace and peace are not just nice concepts, but that grace is the cornerstone of the gospel and as we embrace that grace more and more, we begin to experience the peace of Christ more and more. And so he goes on in verse 4 and talks about Jesus again, always talking about Jesus at every opportunity, reminding them here not only of what Jesus has done for us in dying on the cross, but for Paul it was always about pointing to the redeeming power of Christ. Not just that Christ redeemed us from our sin, but that God wants to make all things new in our lives. He wants to take the good and the bad and the ugly and make it new and make it greater. He wants to take the abundant blessings and make them greater. He wants to take the challenges and make greatness of them. He wants to take even the mundane and the average, the day-to-day, -day, and raise greatness out of them for us. That God is always about redeeming and making things new. And perhaps that is some of the greatest news of this gospel message that we hear and know. And he finishes in verse 5 with kind of a, a doxology, a, a closing to his opening greeting. It's, it's an interesting thing, in case you're wondering. He doesn't do this very often at the beginning of his letters. This is one of the only places it happens because instead, normally he goes into this thankfulness. I'm thankful for the people in Corinth for their good works or this or that. He skips all that here. 
and gets right into his argument. Now, we're not sure why, but it may be some of the issues. It may have been some of the urgency. It may have been some of his frustration or concern. But the cornerstone of this passage for today is verse 6. Perhaps, although such great things in the chapter, this may be kind of one of the linchpins, if you will, of this whole chapter in verse 6, where Paul begins his argument. Starting with the word astonished, I am astonished. It's not a word we see a lot in the scripture. It is more than just surprise in this case. Paul's not angry, but it is certainly a rebuke. It is certainly a challenge because Paul is deeply concerned. He's shocked, he's surprised, he's concerned. And he's rebuking the people for something that's happening. I am astonished. And then he says that you are so quickly. The next important word here is quickly. That they've heard this gospel message. They've embraced the grace of Jesus Christ. But just almost as soon as they've done that, it seems as though they have just as quickly walked away from it. That Paul was perhaps used to sharing the gospel of Jesus and eventually having that have some difficulty, having people forget or having people become distracted. But here he's most surprised that it's happened so quickly for these folks, that these folks who have accepted Jesus and fallen in love with Jesus have so quickly abandoned this message. And he uses that word deserting because for Paul it is an abandonment. It's not just an issue of theology or believing these, these different groups that are vying for their attention. For Paul, it's much deeper, because for Paul, this gospel message of Jesus Christ is deeply personal. It has changed his life so radically, and it's so personal, that it's not just an issue of theology or what they're believing. It's an issue for Paul of abandoning, walking away from the gospel message, but more importantly, walking away from Christ himself. And that is Paul's concern here. Not that they didn't believe all of his words, but this abandonment, this deserting of the message of grace, this deserting of Christ. And he goes on about this in verse 6. The one who called you to live in grace. You see, because Paul wants them to know God has called them this Christ has called them to live in grace. And so it's not just an issue of thought or an issue of theology. It's an issue of walking away from Christ. Luther loved the book of Galatians, and he wrote some wonderful commentary on it. And he talks about this passage as grace under fire in a world that is hostile to the message of grace. And I'm not sure that that's changed. Grace is a hard concept for us, even in the church. It doesn't always seem just or fair. It's so hard to accept this unmerited love and favor of the God of the universe. There's this grace under fire. But Paul wants to remind us here that really with grace, either we accept it or we don't. Those are the choices with the grace of God. Either we accept that grace, we embrace that grace, or we don't. 
Whether it's an active rejecting of that grace or it's a passive rejecting of that grace, it doesn't really matter. It's either an acceptance of the grace or not. And the issue for Paul is walking away from Jesus. If you think back to the parable of the sower, as I shared that parable, perhaps Paul is frustrated because for these folks, the seed is not working. Whether it's the shallow soil that has not really taken root or the seed that's grown amongst the thorns and is being choked out by these distracting messages, these conflicting gospel messages, Paul is deeply concerned. Certainly frustrated, maybe not angry, but deeply concerned about what's happening here because they've accepted this false gospel, these false messages that may look like the gospel, but they're not. He says here in verse 7, which is really no gospel at all, and he uses the word that people are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That, as Paul reminds us, as we know of the gospel, and certainly as we look to our Lutheran heritage, we know the gospel message We know that the gospel message is the good news of Jesus Christ, of God's love for us, of God's grace for us, of God's salvation for us, that we are justified by grace alone through faith alone, that it's God's grace. It's all about God's grace. And it's through our trusting, through our faith, that we embrace and accept that grace. And this is a message that will kind of repeat itself, this message of faith and trust throughout Galatians. And then in verse 8 and 9, he offers these strong warnings about preaching a false gospel, even saying for himself, if I were to preach a false gospel, let me be cursed. You see, Galatia is not the only time and place where there have been false gospels. We face many false gospels today. Certainly in the world and the culture, fine. We can certainly look to other faiths and and look at their theological flaws and and, and, and the lack of the gospel message of grace. And, and, you know, we can talk about false gospels. We can even be critical of other traditions, sometimes rightly so, sometimes not. and, and, And we can talk about false gospels. But I would argue that false gospels exist in the Christian church, too. They exist in the churches that preach Jesus Christ. And so Paul even warns of himself, if I were to preach a false gospel, if I were to preach anything other than this gospel of grace, I read those words and it makes me think more carefully once again as I try to think about the words I use when we talk about the gospel of grace. And there are just many false gospels, even in the churches, I said, whether this prosperity gospel, this gospel of that God wants us to be rich and happy and that that's a sign of God's favor, or something I experienced so much in Colorado, this kind of consumer gospel, that we come to church to be fed and to consume and to be pleased and to be serviced as if visiting McDonald's in the dollar menu. There are many false gospels out there that get distracted by things like our misunderstanding of grace or distracted by the small things that we allow to distract us from our purpose here. And so this warning is not just for those other people who are heretics out there, but for us too. 
Nobody has a perfect theology. We all have our wrong beliefs and challenges and imperfect theology. None of us is the Christ. And, and while we can seek to know more and more of God, we are not God. Yet, we must really consider those gospel messages that we are believing and following and preaching, that this stuff matters. Certainly, it's not about right belief as much as it is about right relationship. But it's about this gospel message of grace in Jesus Christ. And we can't forget that. And so he goes on in verse 10 and talks about, am I trying to win the approval or human beings of God? You know, it, it, Paul's getting defensive because they're not listening to him, and he did that from time to time, but it's also an important message here. Who am I chasing after? Who are we chasing after? Are we chasing after pleasing people, pleasing others, making people happy? Or are we trying to please God? Are we seeking to be in others' good graces more than to embrace the grace of God? It's an important message for us. It's a very important message for us. And then he goes on in verse 11 and 12 and talks again about this gospel that's not of human origin. He wants the people to know that he is working to ensure that this is not of Paul, but this is of God. But there's an important word here that happens in verse 12, and it's the word revelation. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. That we understand, that Paul understands that everything we know about God is because God has shown it to us. Because God has chosen to reveal himself to us. That is the joy of the scripture, that we can read a passage over and over again. And each time we come to it, we might see or experience something new as God continues to reveal himself to us. That what I know about God isn't about my perfect reading of the Bible or seminary or this and that. Although all those things, our relationships, our experiences, our study of the scripture, help us see God. But none of that happens if God doesn't reveal himself to me. It's God who chooses to reveal himself to us. It's God who shows himself to us. It's not about us figuring it out. It's about God showing us. And this is an important message for Paul, that this is the basics of the gospel, that he's reiterating these basics to the people who've forgotten about it. You see, Paul reminds us that there is one gospel. One gospel message of grace. In a world where truth seems to be a moving target, and certainly we can seek the scriptures and pray and gather information as God shows things to us and come out with different results, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the core, the core gospel message of Jesus Christ. That Paul reminds us that there is one gospel, that there is one truth, one absolute truth, and his name is Jesus. And so we as a people who get distracted by all the things in life, and even in the church, are to seek this gospel message of grace, to chase after this Jesus, and to trust, to have faith in the grace of God.
nothing else. One gospel, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the scripture, for the gospel message of grace that we don't always understand, and yet, God, you give it to us freely. Help us to embrace the truth of the gospel of grace and not to be distracted by the things that are not of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.